0: Just text PEACE to 22433, and you'll likely hear from me again on the app as I guide you through daily meditations or help you fall asleep and experience the peace of God.
1: Today, we're breaking down yet another Broncos loss. There was the ripping of chains, a sideline brawl, and a Trevor Simeon resurgence. We're going to break it all down. You are listening to the Huddle Up podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast,
2: your go-to show for all things Broncos.
1: Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast presented by Mile High Huddle. It's time to drop some knowledge before you... Go jumping off the cliff on this seven-game losing streak. Just think about how boring life is without football, without Broncos football to watch. Hey, things aren't going good. The Broncos are losing games, but at least we have football to watch, to analyze, to enjoy, to entertain us. Keep some perspective out there. I'm Chad Jensen, Scal Media, CBS Sports Digital. With me, as always, my partner, Will Keyes, editor and writer at Mile High Huddle. Will, I have a question for you, sir. Is it possible that all of the Karma credit, let's call it, the football karma that the Broncos were given by the football gods back in 2011 with the miraculous Tebow season, that that bill has finally come due with some interest on it. Could that explain this 2017 debacle?
0: Well, the way I like to think about it and the the timeline for the whole thing is 2011 was actually a karma repayment for the year before, uh, 2010. And even if you want to go back to 2009, basically the whole josh mcdaniel's era Mm -hmm. i think we're we're owed some karma by the football gods so now i think we're in debt from the 2015 season (laughs) and then uh you know, we started to pay it off a little bit at the end of the 2016 season, and now we're we're basically just forking it over, and uh, we're we're really taking it on the chin. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully, if we subscribe to this ludicrous theory, uh, we'll win a lot of like three point games in 2018. But we'll
1: see. There you go. 2015 was miraculous in its own right. I mean, there were so many games that year. The Broncos probably shouldn't have won, but they found a way to get it done. And therein separates the type of mindset uh, between that that's that team, the 2015 team, and their counterparts this year, is that when the chips were down, that team found a way to win. This time, the Broncos, this, this year, can't even find a way to put themselves in a position where they have a chance to win. This game was an exception. There was a chance there at the end. If they could get a third down stop, we're going to talk about it, but... I mean, yeah, 2015 was also replete with many miracles, including Peyton Manning coming back late in the year and into the playoffs to, to lead him to a third world championship. So the Broncos, hey, this season's off the rails, Will, but Broncos fans, you know what? You still have a lot to uh, be grateful for in that sense that it was just two short years ago your team brought home a world championship.
0: That's right. Uh, it's the only thing uh, keep getting me wide. through the
1: day at this yeah. point. Yeah, It's keeping us afloat. We're going to break down what took place on Week 12. But before we do, first, please understand, this show is here to give you a deep dive on your favorite team, whether the Denver Broncos are winning, whether they're losing, getting blown out, getting shut out, et cetera. And we need your help. Make sure if you haven't done it, take some time, go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, Leave a creative review. Make sure you rate the show. Helps us out tremendously. Also, make sure you're following us on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. Let me tell you something. This is really bizarre. We have thousands of listeners to this show each and every episode, but we have exactly 403 followers on Twitter. You guys, for those of you who are subscribing and listening to this show, but you haven't followed us on Twitter, please take care of that. Now look, there's five games left in the season. Who knows what's going to happen But make sure you are subscribing to the show because we're going to have a lot to talk about, obviously. Change is probably in the air, and you're not going to want to miss a single episode. Now, again, a lot to get to today. But first, we want to say thank you to our sponsor, Rep the Squad, and draw your attention to one of the coolest services for a Broncos fan out there. Rep the Squad is a jersey subscription club that lets you rep your favorite jersey, Anytime you want. With hundreds of jerseys, Rep the Squad actually lets you switch between your favorite stars and styles, whether it's away, home, alternate, whenever you like. Adult memberships are $1995 per month and youth are $16.95. New jerseys, they arrive each and every week or whenever you order them, fresh and clean, within two to three days of ordering. It's kind of like Netflix for jerseys. Rep the Squad allows you to rep the Orange Crush all season long, no matter if it's home or away. Free shipping both ways. You can cancel anytime. time. Just remember, use promotion code HUDDLE, that's H-U-D-D-L-E, to get 50% off your first month at RepTheSquad.com. That's promo code HUDDLE at RepTheSquad.com. All right, so here we are again, seventh straight loss. I learned today, well, we're tracking this on Sunday. I learned that it has been 50 years, half a century, since your Denver Broncos lost seven games in a row think about the historical scope of that achievement i mean ignominious as it may be 50 years will it took for the broncos to go through the roller coaster of an nfl franchise the ups the downs and now the downs being so low that they have set a new precedent five decades in the making it boggles the mind
0: yeah, I mean, think about all the things that have happened just since since 1967. You know, man, man has walked on the moon uh, for the first time since yep. uh, the Broncos. Since the last time the Broncos won or lost, I should say, seven straight games. So, I think the the historical perspective serves only to uh, to make us feel worse about where we are in the present. Well, so, listen,
1: this thing, this thing, we're gonna feel even more worse, I think, before this thing gets any better so let's oh, yeah. all let's all acquaint ourselves dilly dilly with the misery right let's let's just come to terms with it let's embrace it let's wrap our arms around it uh and just you know what we, we're living in it now and there's no use being in denial and and the cool thing about football the cool thing about the Denver Broncos is as bad as it is now before we know it the season's going to be over we're going to be wishing we had football to watch and talk about and break down We're going to be breaking down the draft. We're going to be previewing prospects, scouting, doing all that stuff. It's going to be a great offseason. Free agency especially is going to be crazy for the Broncos in 2018. So we have that to look forward to. But that's that's kicking the ball a little bit too far down the road for now. Let's focus on what happened since this is the gut reaction episode in Week 12 at the Black Hole. And let's start with Paxton Lynch, Will. Of course, finally tapped to start what was his third career start uh, in his short career. And honestly, you know, it was a little sketchy, but it looked for a time like things might actually start clicking. You know, he had a nice throw, a big pickup to Andy Janovich that uh, was called back for a holding penalty on Mr. Allen Barber. Barber had two holding penalties on the day. He just can't do anything right. Um, But the offense was looking pretty good. Shaq Barrett got that strip sack, recovered the fumble in a very Von Miller-esque type of uh, play. The Broncos were in business in a, deep in Oakland territory. Lynch hits Devontae Booker on that nice wheel route. Great throw. Booker hauls it in. They call it a touchdown only to then reverse the call, put it on whatever it was, like the half-yard line. First down, yeah. they bring in DeMata Pecco to serve as uh, the uh, fullback, and they get stuffed. Second down, just like the announcers called it, it's pretty common in terms of percentages that on uh, second goal or second short – you're usually going to take that that opportunity to throw and, and make a gash play or try and score. And that's exactly what the Broncos did. Paxton Lynch rolls left, and that's when I felt my guts beginning to sink, Will. I knew this does not bode well. He throws through some traffic, hits Virgil Green in the hands, and about simultaneously the defender also contacts the ball, pops up and into the hands of Navarro Bowman, who's laying on his back in the end zone. And it, it illustrates, Will, literally how 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 slave the Denver Broncos are this year to Murphy's Law. If it can go wrong in any given situation, the, it will go wrong for this Denver Broncos team. And you could just see Paxton Lynch from there went into a shell, and he never really recovered before he got hurt. And we'll talk what happened beyond that. Uh, but first and foremost, your thoughts, Will, on Paxton Lynch's third start, he made it through about two and a half quarters before suffering a, what could a, what could be a pretty severe ankle injury and act, having to leave the game.
0: Well, first of all, it's crazy that now in two straight weeks the Broncos have been knocking on the door uh, to take the lead seven nothing, and they turn the ball over in the end zone. You know, last week it, it's the. It's the uh, slant. Brock Osweiler, yeah, slant that gets picked off by Drake Kirkpatrick. Goes the other way, and he nearly takes it to the house, and he probably should have if he doesn't cough up the ball and recover his own fumble at the one. Uh, this time, the decision making, I think, uh, not great on the part of Paxton Lynch on that throw, but you know, he he put the ball right, uh, right in Virgil Green's breadbasket. So you know, agreed. Not a, a great decision to fire it into triple coverage, I think, that close to the end zone. But at the same time, uh, when the ball hits you right in the chest, you got to catch it no matter how, how fast it's coming.
1: You know what? I would have liked to have seen him just tuck the ball and use that size. Yeah. And try and pick up a rushing touchdown. I mean, we, I saw him. You go back and watch the tape on Paxton Lynch at Memphis. He was doing stuff like that all the time. A lot of design runs in the same way that you'll see, like Cam Newton do, uh, you know, Dives, literally, quarterback dives up the gut, draws, stuff like that. But in this case, Paxton Lynch rolling out. I mean, there was traffic there. He would have had to fight for it, but I think he could have punched the ball in if he would have had a little bit of moxie. And again, ill advised, maybe, to, I agree with you, to try and fit it in there. But I think Virgil Green should have caught that ball. And I, I got a little pushback on that on Twitter. But that's a ball, that's a pass Virgil Green has to catch. And again, it just illustrates. How the Murphy's Law aspect of this Denver Broncos season.
0: Yeah. And first of all, like, I don't know. I don't know how much I agree with rolling a young right handed quarterback to his left um, to throw the ball away from his body. I think if it's a design run, that's a different story. But if you're meaning to actually throw the ball in a bootleg, then, you know, make it simple for him and roll him out to his right just so it's natural for him.
1: Just like that and, play in Tampa
0: Bay, his first yeah. career touchdown pass to Emmanuel Sanders, something like that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, no. A play like that would have been perfect, but um, I, I think more importantly, if you have the ball at the one, like they did after that Devonte uh, that Devonte Booker reception, and you have a six-seven quarterback, which they do for you know the second straight week, albeit a different one and a physical, why,
1: athletic one.
0: Right, probably more so than Brock Osweiler. Why don't you just run a quarterback sneak <laughs> just every time you're inside the one-yard line? Just snap it to him from under center, and then just tell him, go forward. And I think you're going to have a
1: touchdown. I honestly can't remember. I think Tim Tebow was the last quarterback to actually do one of those in a Broncos uniform. Actually just, you know, whatever it is, short yardage, snap the ball, and fall forward, keep your legs driving, and pick up the yardage. I think it's been that long. And granted, you know, Peyton Manning with the neck thing, you didn't want to put him in that kind of situation. I get that. But we've never seen that with Trevor. We've never seen it with Brock. And up to this point, of course, we haven't seen it with Paxton.
0: Well, I mean, we saw it with Brock a, a few times back in 2015, and it worked pretty well, so I'm surprised Did he? I, I didn't I do it more. I don't
1: remember that, but I'll take your word for it.
0: Yeah, I think a little bit like earlier in, a, in his stint. But, you know, <laughs> there's a reason Tom Brady does it so often. It's because it works. It's like a mm-hmm. cheat code on, like, third and inches or fourth and inches. It, it's it basically, you know, there's – Really, other than just like knowing that it's coming and and pushing the center back and, and the guards as well, yeah, there's really no defending against it. And given that you know pa- Paxton Lynch and Brock Osweiler are both six seven, uh, it makes it all the all the more easy to just you know put your arms up and, and you're in the end zone for a touchdown. You barely have to move your feet if you're those guys. So I don't know. It just seems like they're trying to outsmart themselves, and I think that's kind of been one of the themes of the of the 2017 season from a coaching perspective. And
1: then it's another case of events snowballing, right, where yeah. you know, something goes wrong in the end zone, a play, a touchdown gets taken off the board, interception, sudden change. And we've seen this with the Denver Broncos through these seven losses in each and every one. Broncos have a sudden change, well, let's call it what it is. The Broncos turn the ball over, right? Uh, unexpectedly or in a critical situation, the Broncos defense suddenly put back out on the field and they just aren't the same unit. The Broncos after that interception relinquished touchdown scoring drives on Oakland's next two possessions. And it before I mean before you knew it, Oakland was up 14-0. And if this season has taught us anything else beyond the whole Murphy's Law thing, that is that if the margin gets to two scores with this team, that's all yeah. she wrote. And it's just bizarre to me. I mean, you know, we'll talk more about the Talib thing here in, a, here in a little bit, but I don't want to go into that quite yet. But this team took the field with a – I mean, you could feel the intensity. This Broncos team was ready to rock and roll in Oakland, but all it took, Will, was that one thing going wrong and the snowballs going downhill and there's no stopping it. Why do you think that is? Why can't this team recover from adversity like that, especially early in games? That's a great question. I mean – Maybe it's uh, a lack
0: of veteran leadership. You know, they don't have guys like DeMarcus Ware, and and I hate to be the guy that brings it up, but, you know, T.J. Ward, who can kind of um, calm guys down after a quick score and, you know, right the ship pretty early. They don't really have it on offense anymore, um, obviously, with no Peyton Manning. I don't think Vaughn Miller or C.J. Anderson or or D.T. or Emmanuel Sanders are those guys, so, you know, maybe it's that. Uh, or maybe it's you know uh leadership from the head coaching spot uh, cuz Gary Kubiak was a pretty even-handed guy but uh, that works to your advantage
1: when you're down 7 nothing and his players fought always fought hard for Gary Kubiak I mean absolutely even though yeah. the scheme was going sideways and there was a dearth of talent you know obviously at certain uh, position groups the Denver Broncos in his two seasons as head coach always fought to the bitter freaking end for Gary Kubiak
0: yeah, no, Gary Kubiak's a classic example uh, of speaking softly but carrying a big stick because he's, you know, he's got the what is it? Like four Super Bowl rings. Um, one with the 49ers and then uh, all three with the Broncos. That's right. Yep. Plus, you know, playing in the league, all the coaching experience, um, basically been at every level of the organization. And he's just a he's just a really agreeable guy um, and we just haven't seen that I don't think out of Vance Joseph yet at this point, and that's something that we'll get into yeah. later. Obviously, with um, you know news that's coming down the wire potentially, yep. uh, allegedly, I'll slap the uh, the allegedly tag on all of that. Um, but it's hard when when uh, there's not really any sure leadership um, at the top of the ladder, uh, and, and there's a sense of panic maybe, or just chaos or disorganization even. After you're down seven nothing and things aren't going going according to plan, you know, if the the guy at the top of the food chain is panicking, then you better believe that the guys at the bottom are going to be too. So
1: yeah, definitely.
0: That that's kind of um that's kind of where we are right now, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's one of those things with Vance Joseph, and you know, you can chalk it up to his inexperience uh, as a head coach, his inexperience even as a coordinator. Only one year as a as a defensive coordinator in the NFL last year. His his inexperience in that sense, whatever it is, the message he is trying to preach to his team, they're not fighting for their head coach. Maybe they don't like Vance Joseph. I don't know. Whatever it is, he is not resonating in the locker room, and eventually there's going to have to be a reckoning for that. And again, we'll talk more about that here in a little bit. But before we move on, let's talk about Lynch gets hurt. You know, pulls up lame, rolling right, and it was a non-contact injury. Bummer for him. He was on the sideline uh, balling. People were teammates. Demaryius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, consoling him. Unfortunate for him. My heart went out to him a little bit. Just a little bit. Not too much, but a little bit. I mean, he just hasn't <laughs> had – the Stars just frankly have not aligned for this poor SOB in the NFL. But nonetheless, Trevor Simeon warms up, takes the field. It's a quick three and out. He goes 0-3. And you were on the Twitter account, at Mile High Huddle, it's like, well, here we go. The, the offense basically just continues down this the trajectory that it had been with Lynn. Yeah, they didn't but skip a then, beat. <laughs> they didn't skip a beat, but then on the next two possessions, the offense completely just opens up. Simeon drives them down. Two consecutive touchdown scoring drives, and this margin gets narrowed to a single score. And we're going to talk about what happened in that final possession a little bit later, uh, the final Oakland possession and how the game basically, the dagger, if you will. But Simeon looked good. And, you know, it was one of those things where, let's face it, the Oakland Raiders defense, one of the worst in the NFL. I mean, that's why it made it so hard to swallow that the Broncos weren't able to pick up, you know, some yards with Lynch under center and move the football on the ground. And, you know, the Raiders hadn't had a single interception all year. And, of course, if there's going to be a team that's going to help them break that streak, it's going to be the Denver Broncos. And that's exactly what happened. But Simeon was able to – expose and capitalize and exploit some of those weaknesses, especially in the Oakland secondary. And it really was impressive. I mean, it's nothing that's going to change the paradigm. Don't get me wrong. It's not like, oh, no, this changes everything uh, in terms of the future and the the ramifications post-2017. But you got to hand it to the kid. Trevor Simeon came in. You know, Paxton Lynch got all the first-team reps all week long. It was all about structuring a game plan for Paxton Lynch, putting him in the best position to succeed. And Trevor Simeon came in there, a little bit of a rocky start, but then, man, he put that thing into, you know, from first to fourth gear, whatever you want to say, in no time flat. And you got to tip your hat to the kid.
0: Yeah. I mean, you always talk about trying to insert a backup quarterback to get a spark. And I think putting Trevor Simeon back in, and not by choice, obviously, Paxton Lynch was hurt, but that was kind of the spark that you've been talking about all along. And who knows how long it lasts. And obviously, we don't know anything about the future from week to week as to, as far as who's starting at quarterback. But he, he looked like a professional quarterback. Maybe the play calling was, I don't know, it opened up a little bit
1: more down three scores, lot, as it more, should. A lot more spread, a lot more shotgun. But conversely, yeah. the Raiders were playing a lot more of a prevent type of cloud defense.
0: Right. Uh, but he was throwing the ball with really good touch, and he was making good decisions, I think, for the most part. Um, had a couple of dropped interceptions I think or, or just bad decisions but that's going to happen and that comes with a little rust I, I can't even remember the last time he played it had to be like a month ago um, at this point so he came in and Chiefs. you know maybe yeah the Chiefs game maybe maybe all of that time on the bench did him some good and you like to think that you know that's the reason that you sit players down is so they'll they'll learn from their mistakes and they get a little more time to to think about what they've done wrong and how they correct it and then and even even next Vince time Joseph, they,
1: they get out there, yeah. Joseph talked about that when the decision was made that sometimes it helps, especially young quarterbacks, to take a step back, sit on the bench and observe for a while, <clears throat> excuse me, and it helps to uh, you know, give them new perspective on, as you say, you know, where, where they went wrong, things they can do better. And even Brock Osweiler talked about it for whatever it's worth. And it seems that Trevor Simeon was able to take that opportunity Grow a little bit, learn from his, you know, learn some lessons.
0: Yeah, that's really why you. (laughs) That's why the bench is there. It's not to punish players. It's to, it's to learn and to to have them rehabilitate themselves as as football players and get back out there and and hopefully be better than they were before. And so I think that was the case with Trevor Simeon. We should also point out too that uh, the conditions in Oakland, especially in the second half, were really really bad. And it's a bad field to begin with, and it's not you know ideal football playing conditions um by any stretch of the imagination but it was really pouring um, in northern california today so uh not a not a great place to (laughs) really just play
1: quarterback to at a high level to a passing game
0: yeah no definitely so i think you have to keep that in mind with lynch and i think uh with the hindsight being 2020 you have to consider well i don't know if you know, playing Paxton Lynch on the road after six straight losses and and given all this, I don't know. You know, maybe that wasn't a great situation for him, but and with the weather and everything, but Trevor Simeon seemed to put it all together uh and despite the, the pouring rain got a pretty good grip on the football and and made some nice passes to get get the Broncos back in the game to the point where, you know, they're they're a third down stop away from having a chance to tie it up late in the fourth quarter.
1: Well I think the the issue with Lynch is speaking for myself, I never thought at this point that inserting Paxton Lynch was the type of thing. It was different than with Brock Osweiler. At that point, I was like, you know what? You need to make a change for the sake of making a change. Try and find a spark some way, somehow. This was different. This was about, look, that the last loss, this previous loss to Cincinnati, that's when the season really, that's when you knew. I mean, mathematically, Denver's yeah. chances of making the playoffs were reduced to like 2%. So at that point, it had to be about evaluation. has to be about, sure, you're going to go into each game trying to win the dang thing. But you need to know what you have in this first-round pick who's languished on the sideline. But now, unfortunately, the kid's in a boot. He's in a protective boot, which makes his availability for Week 13 very much in doubt, which likely leads to a coaching staff having to decide again between Brock Osweiler and Trevor Simeon, and based on the spark Simeon gave this offense at the end of, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter in Week 12, I have a hard time believing they're going to go back to Brock Osweiler. And, you know, we still have a lot to get to, um, but first we want to say thank you to our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Morty, M-O-R-T-Y, the newest and smartest way to get a home mortgage. If you've ever bought a home, you know that the mortgage process can be some of the most confusing and painful hours of your life. Take it from me as somebody who has gone through the process of purchasing a home and taking out a home mortgage. It can be consuming, confusing, it can be painful, but Morty makes it easy, they make it fast. Not only does Morty simplify the process, but they help you find the smartest mortgage that's right for you. Just input your information into Morty's secure website and in less time than it takes to hear this ad, you can shop qualified rates from different lenders. With Morty, you'll get real loan options in minutes without ever being called or sold to by a mortgage broker, and by shopping loans from different lenders, you're able to pick the rate and the term that best fits your needs. In addition to that, Morty can automatically generate a pre-approval letter online for you in minutes, which will help you speed up the home buying process and talk confidently to realtors and sellers. Morty wants to save you money. At Morty, there's no commission salespeople, so their experts exist solely to get you the best deal possible. If you ever get stuck or have questions, someone from Morty's team is always ready to assist you over real-time chat or on the phone. So, whether you're a first-time home buyer, whether you're looking to refinance or buying an investment property, head over to trymorty.com slash huddle to get started today. That's T-R-Y-M-O-R-T-Y, trymorty.com slash huddle. Morty, Inc. is a licensed mortgage broker, equal housing lender, Nmisconsumeraccess.org number one four two nine two four three. All right, well let's talk about the Akib Talib Michael Crabtree uh, chain incident part two. Of course, oh, yes. Chris Harris Jr. Now we've seen this many times. Akib Talib, you know this this is the one thing that I'll tip my hat to him. He will back up. I mean, he has every guy on his squad back, hands down. If you step, if you do something wrong, do you 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 do something that's off the beaten path, that's, that's wrong. You're crossing the line. On one of Talib's teammates, he will take exception to that in some form. Now, one thing I've learned is that especially if it involves Chris Harris Jr., his partner in the no-fly zone, they've been to a couple Pro Bowls together, a couple of All-Pro teams, and they played in college together. He's like a little brother to Akib Talib. If you, if 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 the onus is on Chris Harris Jr. in that sense, Akib Talib is going to retaliate, and we saw that happen. Unfortunately in Oakland in the first quarter, where if you go back and watch the tape, what happens is you see Michael Crabtree on the previous play kind of get a cheap shot in on Chris Harris Jr. on a running play where Harris wasn't really around the point of attack. Harris goes down, very animated, gesticulating all the way to the, to the sideline as the trainers are helping him off. As I was watching the game, I said to my mom, we're watching this together actually on, on television. I turned her and I said, now watch Akeem Tlaib at the top of the screen. He's going to retaliate. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. All of a sudden, Paul, <laughs> uh, I felt like Nostradamus in that sense. But anyway, what happens? Well, they get locked up at the top of the route and they're, you know, kind of locked up going at it. And then Talib reaches in and yanks that gold chain again. Boom, and down to the ground. He takes, you know, Crabtree takes him to the ground. Sideline brawl ensues. It was absolutely ridiculous. Long story short, Akib Talib and Michael Crabtree ejected from the game. And then Gabe Jackson, their starting right guard, who plays at pretty much a Pro Bowl level, one of the better guards in the NFL, happens to get caught in a little bit of some uh, crossfire, kind of runs in. This is my interpretation watching the replay of what happened. I don't think he me- like meant to push that official to the ground. But nonetheless, he contacted an official, went to the ground. So he, too, was ejected. So you got three of the best players in, in, on both teams ejected from the game. And unfortunately, it cost for the Broncos. Talib's absence really contributed, I mean, significantly um, to this team's loss because Brendan Langley came in, well, uh, and immediately Derek Carr, being a, a savvy, talented veteran, immediately starts to target the rookie. I mean, that's what they do. You look for the hole in the boat, and Langley was it. He was exploited several times, especially in the red zone. He had that big pass interference call to put the ball on the one. And he just, I mean, it's what this is what's going to happen. They released Lorenzo Doss earlier in the week for being late to Thanksgiving a meeting on Thanksgiving Day, which, by the way, for those who didn't know, that was like the 12th time this season he'd been late to either a meeting or a practice. So the Broncos had enough, sent a message. But nonetheless, that left Brendan Langley as cornerback number four. He gets inserted, and that's all she wrote. I mean, if you look at that, that final possession – where the Broncos just needed one stop wheel, one stop, and they could get a red-hot Trevor Simeon the ball back with an opportunity just under two minutes to, no timeouts granted, but an opportunity to drive the offense down and try and tie the game up. But on third and long, they call a cover zero, playing man coverage. There's no safety help over the top. And what does Carr do? He just finds the guy that is lined up against Langley, drops it over the bucket, First down, game over. So you have to – I mean, I want to talk about Vance Joseph's thoughts on the on the issue here in a second, but before we do, Will, I myself – I mean, it's funny to see that Aqib Tlaib basically posterized Crabtree once again. You know, it's going to be another meme that's going to exist for infinity. But is that really worth your team losing the game? Is it really worth it? My answer is no. What were your thoughts on, on Aqib Tlaib getting <coughs> that chain, getting ejected again?
0: I mean, I would probably agree with you if the Broncos were seven and three and not three and seven at this point. So it's hard to just get—I don't know—I don't think anybody's like super emotionally invested at this point, knowing that the season's over. You know, just winning and losing from isn't week that, to week. Isn't that part of the problem,
1: though? I mean, isn't isn't he really I said, well, for, contributing yeah. to that, that inferno now?
0: I mean it's a different you you obviously want the team to be winning or to be thinking about winning and trying to win every game but at this point you know I think from an outside perspective people aren't really as concerned with you know the wins and losses as they are the process and how things are going cuz after you lose 6 games in a row you just want to see improvement and you know improvement in this case would have been a win but they didn't get it done and for Taleb I don't know I mean you like to see a guy defending uh, his, his partner in crime right. in Chris Harris Jr. And you like to see Akib Tlaib be Akib Tlaib. And to some extent, you have to take the good with the bad. And, and obviously, this is one of the more lighthearted things. Uh, not in the sense of getting kicked out, but just grabbing Michael Crabtree's not, not shooting train.
1: shooting himself in the, in the legs.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, not poking anybody's eye out or anything. Or not, you right. know, you and your brother getting arrested in Dallas or anything. But... Just kind of grabbing Crabtree's training chain again and repeating exactly what happened last year. Yeah. To some extent, like, you have to find the humor in that. Oh yeah, and it's all—it's all, it's fun. all
1: in good fun. It's definitely. Yeah. fun. <laughs> I mean, it's a—it'll be a meme from now until eternity.
0: Oh yeah, no, it, it's you know now when people I love it too because when you think of Michael Crabtree, what's the first thing you think about? It's not like <laughs> you don't think about like his days at Texas Tech anymore. Or like, no the fade route in the Super Bowl that he almost caught to win the to win the whole game. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's to just emas- thoroughly emasculating him on national television. Twice. And, yeah, twice and just grabbing the chain from right around his neck. So that's you know, that's a good memory to hold on to. And I think in times like these we have to we have to latch on to the to the good and, you know, kind of toss the bad aside. And in this case, you know, we have to be happy that um Akib leap stood up for his teammate because I mean, wouldn't you have been a little discouraged to just see, you know,
1: apathy do on the part the of the Tlaib? My thing would be do it between the whistles. Now, if it, well, it
0: was... Uh, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I, I think Crabtree kind of instigated he, it, too.
1: We don't know what was said, either. Well, sure. But what I'm saying is do it within the rules and realm of the game, because if this was a situation where you know, it didn't lead directly to a loss. I mean, you can go back. Now, once we get the All-22, the coaches' film, we can go back and watch exactly um, Brendan Langley's snaps and how he was picked apart. It'll it'll tell and reveal even more of this story. But without to yeah. Talib on the field, contributed to two, I'm just thinking in my memory, I'm not going over notes, two of Oakland's three touchdowns and then that big conversion to put the dagger in. I mean, that was literally it. That I mean, Akib Tlaib, now who knows? If he's in the game, maybe they still manage to convert on that big third down especially. Who knows? But my gut tells me the ball goes elsewhere on that play if Akib Tlaib is on the field. So if it hadn't led directly to a loss, okay, maybe I'd feel a little bit different. I don't know. I mean, it's certainly funny. I agree with you. I mean, I, we were all laughing about it on Twitter as I was typing up a, a piece to show viewers who couldn't watch the game you know, the actual video of what happened. I was laughing about it. I mean, it was funny, but at the same time, you have to think about individuals doing selfish things that cost the team. And, in fact, that kind of leads us to what Vance Joseph had to say after the game, very dejected. I mean, this is a guy who is at the lowest of the low. I, if I feel for anybody right now, I feel for Vance Joseph. Here's yeah. what he had to say, his thoughts real quick, on Tlaib getting ejected from the game.
2: I don't like it. You know, and it's it's uh, unacceptable. You know, we can't we can't lose our best players because of a personal battle. That's a personal battle. You know, this is this is about the Broncos. So it's unacceptable. We can't have it. It's non-negotiable. You know, and obviously losing one of our, our best players and playing a young guy, it hurt us tonight. You know, so we can't have it. You know, we talk about those things all the time, and we can't have them. Unacceptable. Well, we'll see. I didn't I didn't see the whole play. You know, right now I, you know, I'm dealing with the uh, the uh, result of what happened. You know, and you know, both teams lost two of their best players. It's nonsense. It's silly. You know, so I don't, you know, I don't know what exactly happened, but I know it can't happen. You know, to our football team especially.
1: All right, well, so that's how Vance Joseph feels. In a nutshell, that's how I feel. And with the Broncos team now coming off their seventh loss. What do you say that if you're a teammate of to Tlaib, what do you say? Do you say thank you for having, you know, one of our guys, one of our brothers' backs? Or do you call him out maybe for being selfish and doing something as, at an individual level that hurt the team on a macro level?
0: Maybe so. And I like that Vance Joseph took that position, that it was a selfish thing. Because as the leader, obviously you can't condone that. And you do understand that to Tlaib is to Tlaib. And he's not a button down guy, and he's going to wear his emotions on his sleeve. And that's kind of part of what makes him great. And, you know, he is a little bit of a wild card. But to some extent, you want to have, you know, on a perfect team, you have a guy like that uh, who is, you know, prone to do kind of explosive things, both good and bad, both, you know, uh, as a football player and just as a human being, Uh I should say on the field, you know, stuff like that. Right. Obviously, you don't want players getting in trouble off the field, but you know, you got to have like kind of like that crazy like Bill Romanowski guy <laughs> that just kind of keeps your team, you know, on its toes a little bit. And I think Akib Talib, you know, when things are going well for the Broncos, is a really valuable part of the locker room, just to you know keep spirits up. But so
1: when things yeah, are going bad,
0: right? Yeah, it, it seems a little tone deaf to kind of do that in the middle of a seven game losing streak a little bit at the same time you could say like this would be way worse if this was a really meaningful game and then I'd say yeah you have to be on the field for this game it's a crucial AFC West divisional game on the road that the Broncos have to have to stay in the middle of the playoff race but they're not and so you know you just kind of shrug it off and say you know who knows if Akeeve Talib will even be here next year or the year after. And so you kind of just look at I don't know, this is how I looked at it, but you know, hey, this gives us a chance to look at Brendan Langley and see what we have. Because remember, the Broncos spent a third rounder on him. And we don't really think about Brendan Langley on that like that yet. But, you know, there's guys like Demarcus Ware and, and Brendan Langley and Carlos Henderson who, you know, Henderson's an exception just because he's out for the year, but we don't know what what the broncos have in them yet and so this was kind of a wake-up call that well brendan langley might need to work on some things oh yeah uh because he
1: got some just he got some live reps terrible yeah. technique his technique was just inconsistent and poor especially uh in the second half i mean there's there are several plays where i was just biting my fist i'm like come on dude You know, and it's an interesting topic, and we could probably talk about it for the rest of this episode. But there's other issues we need to break down here, including what Von Miller had to say after the game. Another sad sack at the podium, dejected. Uh, He was asked specifically, Von Miller, how he's taking this losing streak on a personal level.
2: Here's what he said. Yeah, I mean, you can't really. I can't really sit up here and say I'm not, you know, frustrated. You know, um, you know, year seven for me. I think it's. uh, you know, I, I, I deal, it's it's not, it is the losses. It's, it's just where I am in my career right now. Um, I feel like, you know, this is the best shape that I've been in. I feel like, you know, this is the smartest that I've been. Um, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm on top of my game in all areas. And I just want an opportunity to, to go out there and uh, improve that and it's that's the frustrating part you know that's the frustrating part me being in my prime and me being on top of my game like i've never been able like i've never been before and um you know not being able to you know put it out there for you know everybody to see you know so wasting a you know a prime year on you know uh whatever we got yeah that's that's the frustration but you know at the end of the day you know, we still got another opportunity to go out there and be great. And I've said, you know, weeks before, that's all I really need is an opportunity to go out there with my guys and my teammates and just play. You know, it's, it's been stranger stuff happen. I just want to, I just want to get out there and, and show the type of player I truly am.
1: All right, well, so it might be that, in a sense, the Broncos are wasting a year of Von Miller's prime. But what I would say to Von Miller is, play harder. Vaughn, you want your team to win, play harder. You're having a hard time swallowing a losing season in the midst of your prime, play harder. That half sack was great. You had a couple of big, uh, big-time uh, big plays on some rushing uh, downs, but, dude, play harder. Don't cry about it in the media. I know you were asked the question directly, but to me, it rubbed me wrong, Will, for this guy to stand up at the podium in the midst of a team just completely defeated and beaten in the midst of a historic losing streak and to say they're wasting a year of my prime for me especially his caliber and profile with the team I mean answer that question in a different way and don't make it sound I don't know so so selfish I was I'll be honest I was a little bit disappointed in his response there
0: yeah I mean you think about it and this is the first losing season that Von Miller's ever had to go through in the NFL assuming of course that they lose one more game and don't finish 8 and 8 miraculously but right. I don't think I don't think there's any illusions about that happening. We're not holding our breath. Yeah, and you think about it like he's either gone 9 and 7 or made the playoffs every year in his career so it's a little different for him. But you have to realize, like you're a guy with a you're a guy with a Super Bowl MVP and a defensive rookie of the year award, multiple like, Pro Bowls. Yeah, you basically, are you're a lock for the Pro Bowl every year? Twenty million um, a year. Yeah, you're, you're making an obscene amount of money <laughs> to play outside linebacker in the NFL. And there's guys like Joe Thomas who yeah. who have had like one winning season in their career, and he hasn't great. even made the playoffs great, ever. He's literally playoff. never. Yeah, he, he's never. Uh, t- he's never participated in a playoff football game Ever. since, yeah, since I'm I'm sure uh, the last bowl game he played at Wisconsin. So when you think about it that way, you know Vaughn Miller's had it pretty good, and obviously, <laughs> if you have guys like him, you want to be winning every season. That's just not how you know life and sports work. Like you're just gonna have bad years, both in you know football or, or basketball or baseball. Like there's you know Kobe Bryant and the Lakers were really just terrible for about three years in the middle of his prime. And, you know, obviously that's not a perfectly comparable situation, but there's just going to be down times when you're an athlete. And Vaughn Miller hasn't experienced that yet. And I think it's new to him.
1: It is. And, you know, in that sense, he's going through some uncharted territory. He's getting fielded questions that are in a vein that he's never had to deal with before. And I get that. But I just think he needs to be a little bit more controlled and measured in his response to questions like that, especially when the disappointment is uh, so fresh and, and f- on the front of the mind. Now, let's go to another topic that is buzzing uh, here on Sunday night as we track this gut reaction episode that has to do with Vance Joseph. In fact, when I was typing up the, uh, the recap article at milehighhuddle.com, I said, who knows, after seventh straight loss, you know, whose head is going to be next to roll? We've heard some rumblings that Vance Joseph could be on the chopping block, and it might be soon. He might not survive. Our very own Eric Trickle, who has, uh, has a penchant for being right on these things, he's got some good sources, and I can vouch for that. He's not, they're not always right, as sources aren't always, things don't always come to fruition, but... I will give Eric this, that more often than not, what he is told does does tend to come true. So in this case, here's what I want to discuss, Will, is not whether or not this is true, but rather should the Broncos do something like this. So you've got 11 games in the books. you got five left to go. It doesn't seem as if change or progress is on the horizon. At a certain point, do you think the Broncos need to cut bait with this coaching staff because they don't seem to have? Vance Joseph is at the top, so we'll leave it with him. He doesn't seem to have uh, any kind of control on what's happening on the field, and the losses continue to pile up again at a historic level. Do the Broncos need to make a change, or is this just one of those things, Will, where they need to swallow it? They need to maybe ask some more difficult questions at a more, you know, Front office level, and obviously coaching has a little bit more of an immediate impact on what's happening on game day. I mean, there's a lot of blame to go around. Let's that's what's what I'm trying to say. And should we look at it through that vein, or do we look at it in the sense that, look, regardless of all of the factors, blame-wise that led to this point, arguably, this is my own opinion. Arguably, the most immediate influence on this situation, unfortunate situation, that that is presenting itself right now is Vance Joseph. Vance Joseph right now, again, doesn't seem to have any kind of control on what's happening, and there, there's no positive anything on the horizon. In fact, it would not surprise me were the Broncos to lose every remaining game. Is this a conversation that should be had right now at Dove Valley, or at the very least, Will, is this something that should be tabled until 2018?
0: Yeah, no, you have to table it until at least the off season. I, I don't think there's any justification um, outside of, like, I don't know, just like personal misconduct or something like that for firing a first-year head coach in the middle of his first season. I, I, don't, I, can't, think, I, I can't think of anything where uh, a coach has
1: been fired before he's reached his 16th game. Can you? Off the top of my head, I can't think of anything, but with the rough-and-tumble production-based business that is the NFL, I, I would imagine that it's happened before. We probably should have researched that point, but at the same time, this is a unique situation that he's in, in that the Denver Broncos, uh, you know, the expectations that exist in Denver. I mean, I mean, that is it really? Of, that kind of slants it, I think, a little bit. I mean, I guess so, but like, at
0: some point, like the expectations have to meet reality, and and the reality is that this was never. You know, a Super Bowl contender. I don't think before the season to begin with, and
1: well, maybe we not. kind of
0: ignored. Well, yeah, but we ignored. You know, a couple of elephants in the room that the offensive line wasn't as good.
1: Quarterback and maybe, situation sucked.
0: Yeah, the quarterback situation was. You know, what the quarterback situation still is not very good, and we didn't quite know how some of the free agents, free agency uh, signings were going to go, and how how the rookie class was going to look, and that's still a mixed bag, obviously, but. No, I don't. I don't think there's any justification, uh, football-wise, for firing uh, a newly signed head coach before you know he finishes out his first season. And even then, I don't think firing a head coach after one season um, is justified. Say for like the Cam Cameron's of the world who yeah, go one in fifteen with the Dolphins or think you know, about stuff how like epic that.
1: this failure has been.
0: Let's just be optimistic. Well, it's 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 epic in the in the sense that the Broncos aren't used to having
1: double-digit losses in the season, but it's not epic for the rest of the NFL. Well, it's epic in the sense that the streak, I mean, the losing streak, yeah, you're going to have your doormats like the Cleveland Browns who go 0 for, you know, pretty much every year with very few exceptions, maybe pull out one or two wins and all that. What I'm saying is for the Denver Broncos, through their lens and historical perspective and expectations, this is completely unlike anything, including the Josh McDaniels debacle they have ever experienced. And John Elway is not a patient man. He's not I don't a patient know if I agree. person. You you would you would say that Josh McDaniel's era, let's say just two thousand ten, you would say two thousand ten sure. matches or is worse than what we're going through right now?
0: Yeah, no, I, I think so. And a lot of that has to do with McDaniel's I think I always think that I'll always think that McDaniels was basically the worst plague that will ever be visited upon the Denver Broncos football franchise just because he came in and his first order of business was to swiftly trade quarterback Jay Cutler, who I think was a fan favorite, certainly my favorite player in the NFL at the time. Yeah, coming off a Pro Bowl year, there really hadn't been a franchise quarterback in that city since John Elway, and he was the heir apparent. Um, and he really looked like he was going to be the guy and, you know, all of that, not all of his, you know, time in Chicago and now Miami, notwithstanding, that's a terrible way to ingratiate yourself <laughs> with a city and a franchise and Vance Joseph, you know, he did said all the right things and now it's just, it's just not working on the field, um, in the last seven weeks. And I don't think you can fire a guy, you know, for that. And I think it sends a bad message to future candidates
1: to that say, I, well, that I won't debate that I will yeah. not debate. I mean because gonna, co- yeah. coaching candidates have to wonder if Denver's the place their careers go to die as a head coach. I mean, John Elway runs the risk of creating that perception if he fires Vance Joseph anytime between now and twenty nineteen.
0: Right. Well, I, yeah, I mean and if they lose every every game to finish out this season and then they fire him, I think that's you know, that's a lot more acceptable. Granted, you know that it's not the norm in the NFL to fire a head coach, barring abject disaster, like one and fifteen or zero and sixteen, after one season.
1: Let me let me just throw this at you real quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Josh McDaniels. I'm I'm looking at it myself because I don't have this from memory. I just pulled it up while you were talking there. But Josh McDaniels was fired after losing five straight games in 2010. Of course, also coming off 2009, in which they started six and zero, yeah. But went on to just I think they finished eight and eight, if I recall right. Then going to 2010, from week 11 through week 15, they lost five straight games, and he was benched or excuse me fired. So to your point though, there was a little bit more scope to the decision to fire him in that he had made made so many big uh, changes at an organizational level, getting ready getting ready, right, ready right. budding franchise quarterback and. Nobody liked him. I mean everybody hated Josh McDaniels all the at the player level and his fellow coaches his his uh, staff. I mean he was he was per, persona non grata and so it made sense especially in that sense to finally just cut bait and reevaluate. John Elway comes in saves the day and you know we here we are. What I would say is different this time is that the Broncos have now lost 7 games in a row dating back 50 years which is the worst ever. And the problem will is that there's no empirical evidence, any any kind of something you can point to that would give, if you're front office and you're making decisions on how do we improve, what can we do, I mean, there's nothing there right now to point you in any way hopeful that Vance Joseph has the wherewithal to turn the ship around. Certainly not this year, and if it's this bad this year, what makes you think it's going to be any different next year? Well, let me kind of contrast
0: it by saying and, and then I, I'll throw this in as well. Is I think there was more reason to fire Josh McDaniels in the 2010 season just because of, <clears throat> sorry, just because of that um that cheating scandal uh, back. Right, that's true, yeah. Back in that year where people kind of gloss over. Um that was a really embarrassing thing for the franchise and for Pat Bowlen especially. Um but think about so the Forty ers are one in ten now, I believe. They're one in ten. The Broncos are three and seven. They're both really storied franchises, kinda two of the NFL's 8. uh yeah, three and eight, sorry. But yeah, the Forty ers and the Broncos are two of uh the NFL's more model franchises, I would say. and obviously varied recent success. Um the Broncos have won more more recently and then the Forty ers had I think like three kind of down years recently. But what's the difference between the optimism surrounding Kyle Shanahan and now all the pessimism surrounding Vance Joseph? And obviously there's a there's difference in the two rosters, but, you know, Vance Joseph has two more wins than Kyle Shanahan, and there's no talk about Kyle Shanahan
1: losing his job. What do you right. think the reason for that is? I think if you really boil it down, it's expectations. And if there's anything, and I've written about this many times over the last seven weeks, that the Broncos – fooled themselves into thinking along the way the last two years basically that they were one middle of the road quarterback away from repeating the same history of 2015 and that has doomed them at so many levels so back to your question yes as an organization they fooled themselves into thinking that they were on the cutting edge of contention that they were in 2017 with the talent they still had on defense the changes they made on the offensive line that, and Trevor Simeon going into his second year as a starter, that they were going to be in a position to contend in the AFC West and in the conference, and they were just flat-out wrong. But those expectations, the problem is with John Elway being who he is, He, I don't see it changing. I don't see him suddenly going, yeah, well, you know, every dog has its day. It's our turn to suck for a while. Let's rebuild this thing. No. In his mind, he doesn't have the patience, I don't think, you know he talks about win now and from now on but i don't think in that sense he has the patience to endure the growing pains that, that it takes at times to weather you know the downside of this thing is it the yeah. right decision yeah, I, yeah. I don't know i i don't know i'm just saying that right now vance joseph if if i'm the one making the decision this is me if i'm the one in the front office calling the shots i'm not making any change as a head coach until the season's over And then I'll go back and reevaluate the whole thing. And if I feel like it's best that we move on and find a new head coach, I'll do it. But I will at least agree with you on that, Will, that I don't think now is the time for for Joseph's head to roll.
0: Yeah, no, it would be pretty much, you know, until we find out otherwise, it would be basically unprecedented. Um, to, to fire a coach before he finishes up his his first season, and um, we should note that Bobby Petrino didn't finish his first season in 2007, but he left right um, kind of near the end of that season, you know, on his own accord um, to go coach Louisville. So that's kind of a different situation. But yeah, no, I don't think it sets a good uh, example. I think for for future candidates, um, if you are definitely like looking out to to pick up a more established guy who who's maybe been in some situations in the NFL as a head coach before and kind of knows the ropes to say well I'm coaching for my job every week and it's kind of like it's kind of the joke that people have on Twitter about Brad Stevens about how uh, Indiana wants to get him and so they say that Brad Stevens even though he's coaching the best team in the east in the NBA that he's coaching for his job every week but that's kind of that's kind of what it's that's kind of what it is to be a Broncos head coach since uh, 2014 with John Fox. Yeah, to say that like nothing's good enough uh, unless you're coming home with a Lombardi, and
1: well, even then, you know, you could be on the way out a season later. But let us not forget, John Elway did not want a coaching change in 2017. He did not want Gary Kubiak to quit. In fact, he tried multiple times to convince his old friend and roommate and teammate to stick around and let's just make some changes, let's let's tweak this thing so that you're not as under pressure as you are and let's keep you around. But Coop just wasn't he 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 was done. He was done at that level. So it's not like John Elway wanted this, but so if we're gonna compare, we gotta compare John Fox, the the parting of ways after four consecutive winning seasons or whatever it was. Yeah, four. Well not winning seasons, but four playoff seasons. So John Fox and then now this situation. But, again, where I'll say that this has a totally different complexion, well, it's just simply with how bad the season has been. I mean, it's not like they're just failing to, you know, perform and they're losing out in just a couple plays here and there. I mean, we're talking about not only a seven-game losing streak, but blowouts, shutouts, uh, embarrassments at home. It's just like – I mean, the comedy of errors has been so extreme that I could understand why – a guy like John Elway and a president like Joe Ellis could feel compelled to consider making a change it's just because of how bad it's really been you know the, the scale of yeah it. I, and i again like i think that's a fair thing
0: to consider but only until the season's over so and then if they decide to pull the trigger on it then you know i think yeah. that's that's their call and hopefully it works out but i think it's it's obviously wrong to do it you know 11 games in but we'll see what they we'll see what they do
1: Absolutely. Well, uh, we're running out of time, but before we get out of here, let's take a quick peek inside the Mile High Mailbag, because Will and I are your football priests. We're here to offer answers and absolution to your burning Broncos questions. First one comes from Mile High Maniac, and we really are getting low on time, so let's rapid fire these bad boys. Mile High Maniac asks, does this end Lynch in Denver? Will, you
0: think. I think it depends on the the length and the severity of the injury. I think if he's healthy in like two weeks, I think you could see him out on the field. Um, But if he's done for the year, I think they could just move on in the offseason and and draft a guy and you never see him again.
1: I agree. I I honestly, whether it's severe or not, I don't think you might see him play if if it's not too severe again. uh, I doubt it. I think at this point the Broncos are – I mean, they're they're pretty fed up with Lynch. And I've heard some other things behind closed doors about how they feel about his uh, prep habits and his work ethic and things like that. They're not too high on their first-round pick. And there was a report, of course, Monday before the game kicked from, I believe it was Mike Kliss, that uh, he said the Broncos are looking to find a for-sure guy, a no-question starting quarterback in 2018. Now, to me... That means a veteran. They're they're going to go out on the free agent or the trade market and bring in a guy that is not only an unquestioned starter, no competitions in training camp, et cetera, but a guy who immediately can step in and raise all ships in the sense that a you know Drew Brees could do, or a just spitballing here Philip Rivers, possibly an Eli Manning, you know someone that's Kirk Cousins, possibly although I'm not too sold on him to be honest with you, but someone in that sense that's just a big yeah. splash. Uh that's what Mike Kliss is reporting. If there's anyone, I mean, he's the closest guy to the team and anybody in the market. So there's that to keep in mind. Does this end the the, the Lynch era in Denver? Not quite, but I'd be surprised if we honestly see him again, especially with how well Simeon played at the end of the fourth quarter. And uh, lastly, we have a question here from zeb 211 his question. it's kind of, he, he says, first of all, he says, We must get rid of Trevor before our next QB, right? Draft a guy and actually give him the job and learn on the fly. This start and stop garbage does nobody any favor. So what he's saying is, before we bring in that next big guy, whether it's free agent in 2018 or drafting a guy in 2018, Simeon's got to be shown the door. Do you agree with that?
0: I don't think there's any reason for that. I think he proved... Uh, today especially that he's a really he can be a really high-end backup in this league and, and that's a really valuable commodity with the way injuries uh, have been trending in the NFL and especially this year I, I think you know you have to have a, a backup that you know knows the system first of all and Trevor yeah. Simeon's uh, always going to be that guy I think no matter where he is he's going to have a good grasp on the playbook right. um, and he can come in in a pinch and, and he's down 21 nothing, and almost brings you back so I think he he basically has everything you want in a backup quarterback um and then you know maybe if you put him in the right situation where everything's going on uh, well around him and he has a running game and a defense, then he's obviously uh, a low end starter, but that's that's not the case in Denver anymore, but yeah, you know depending on the contract situation, he's a guy you want to keep around. I don't know why you'd
1: show him and I don't know why you have to show him the door. The only reason you'd get rid of him is if yeah you were going to stick with Paxton Lynch. That, that'd be my thing. If you were going to yeah, somehow yeah. stick with Lynch, then you probably just get rid of Trevor and get all that emotional baggage and history out the door. But if Trevor sticks around and they go out and make a splash in free agency or draft a high-round quarterback, it has to be, if Trevor sticks, it has to be, look, Trevor, you're the backup, period. We're not doing another open competition. If it's a first-round pick, look, here's what we're doing. We learn from our mistakes. We're investing fully and building around this young quarterback starting now. We're not going to have any of these contrived competitions. We're going straight with him. And as long as that precedent has been established and that understanding exists, absolutely you want Trevor Simeon because, again, as Will said, we saw today the value of having a capable backup in the NFL. And I think that's what Trevor Simeon, at the very least, has established himself as at this point in his career. And you know what? A guy like him can make a lot of hay in this league doing such things. Look at the money Matt Castle made. Look at the money Chase Daniel has made. So kudos to him. He's probably got a job in the NFL for 10 years. So we'll see. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't expect just out of the gates Trevor Simeon is going to be gone in 2018. But we're about out of time. But before we get out of here, we would be remiss if we didn't tell you about our sponsor, Audible. Get a free audiobook download, you guys, and a 30-day free trial at audiblechild.com slash huddle up. You get 180,000 different titles to choose from, whether you're on iPhone or Android or even Kindle or a basic MP3 player. You can listen to it while you're driving. You can listen while you're working out or doing yard work, cooking, whatever it might be. We don't always have the time to sit down and and turn the pages on the books we want to read, but Audible gives us the opportunity to do so While we're multitasking, we get those books under our belt, and we're better off for it. So go to audibletrial.com slash huddle up. Also, a phenomenal way to support the show. You want us to keep bringing you these episodes several times per week? We ask you humbly patronize our sponsors. But that's all the time we have for today. You can find Will in the Twitterverse, at WillKey6, myself, at Chad and Jensen. Will, did you have a good Thanksgiving, my friend? Very good. How about yourself? I cannot complain. It was a good holiday week, and I'm ready to get back to work. But tweet us your questions, everybody. We're always going to try to address your concerns on the show as often as we can. Look for Nick and Carl's preview of next week's game by Thursday. They're also going to continue to do their draft episode, scouting the draft. We're focusing right now, especially on quarterbacks. No no surprise why, uh, with Eric Trickle contributing quite a bit. So make sure you're subscribing, you guys. For Will, I'm Chad. We'll talk to you soon. Mile high huddle.